Next, this month's special series focus on geriatric medicine and aging. ReachMD talks to experts about new thinking and innovations in the treatment of conditions of the aging body and mind. In the operating room, cognitive function, judgment, and technical ability are all involved. Are they mutually inclusive or mutually exclusive? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Laser Greenfield. Dr. Greenfield is former professor and chairman of the Department of Surgery at the University of Michigan School of Medicine. Since retiring from this role, he served as Interim Executive Vice President for Medical Affairs and Interim CEO of the University of Michigan Health System as well as consultant to the FDA and to the Medical Product Surveillance Network. He also is editor-in-chief of Surgery News and the American College of Surgeons web portal. Dr. Greenfield has published hundreds of book chapters and peer-reviewed articles and two major textbooks on surgery. Perhaps, however, he is most well-known for the Greenfield Filter. Welcome, Dr. Greenfield. Thank you very much, Mark. It's a pleasure to be with you. Today we are discussing cognitive function, judgment, and technical ability in the operating room. Dr. Greenfield, I was once told when I just came out of my training that the age at which a surgeon is optimum is age 55 because their cognitive ability, their judgment, and their technical ability as well as experience is maximized. Is that true or false? I wish I knew, Mark. Every surgeon performs at a level that he or she thinks is optimal for that particular age. Surgeons' egos are a wonder to perform. And I think that in most cases, what the surgeon feels most comfortable doing is accumulating cases over a period of time and benefiting from that experience. Well, let's separate the cognitive and judgmental function from the technical ability. You know, as well as I do, when we got out of our training, we thought that we were the best surgeon around since when we finished our chief residency. And then we realized that it took years to perfect our technique. So isn't that a great factor in terms of facilitating our own technique in the operating room? Yes, and certainly operative times and outcomes tend to improve with greater clinical experience. That's the reason that we tend to prefer to refer patients for operations to those surgeons who do the most of a particular procedure. But I think that we can't legitimately separate cognitive and technical performance except uh, under circumstances where an individual becomes impaired in one or the other. They are so closely intertwined that we find that they are both necessary but uh, not sufficient to accomplish the objective of, of perfection in surgery. We spoke before that airline pilots are, at least at this time, required to retire at 60. Why do you think that surgeons don't have those same restrictions, considering that our intensity of work and our hours of work certainly are at least as much as an airline pilot? I think many surgeons continue to practice very actively as they age uh, and, in fact, into their 60s and 70s. When we did a survey of the American Surgical Association more than 
15 years ago, we found that there were still uh, roughly 17% of surgeons actively involved in the practice of surgery over age 70. And I think that's a safe practice for those surgeons who continue to have good outcomes. And most surgeons are conscious of their own outcomes and tend to tailor their practice with time as they age. Do you think that an aging surgeon who routinely uses a, another surgeon as an assistant has an advantage by having that continual interaction? There's certainly a potential advantage there uh, if the surgeon is an individual who accepts criticism and is willing to adjust his or her practice if, in fact, the assisting surgeon indicates that uh, changes have occurred. I don't think that uh, we find many surgeons who are resistant to change. I think most of them recognize their own limitations and voluntarily change the complexity of the cases they do. In your experience, Dr. Greenfield, and certainly you've seen thousands and thousands of surgeons, both in their training and as attendings, which do you think is compromised first? Or, or I don't even know if you can answer this. Their cognitive ability, their judgmental ability, or their technical ability? We haven't really tested them individually. The tests that we've done are tests of cognitive changes, and these track right along with what would be expected from any group of individuals who are aging in incremental fashion. But the way in which surgeons perform technically is so variable that I don't think we've succeeded in mastering a reliable test uh, that would give us that information. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is renowned surgeon, professor, teacher, author, and inventor, Dr. Laser Greenfield. Today we are discussing cognitive function, judgment, and technical ability in the operating room. Dr. Greenfield, what should hospitals do in terms of setting up an age at which surgeons need to be evaluated more closely? I think they better not address the age of the surgeon separately because that's a violation of federal law. What do you mean by that, sir? I mean that it is, in fact, illegal to make decisions based upon an individual's age. We can certainly make decisions based upon performance, but it's discriminatory uh, to make a decision based upon an individual's age. But aren't there some hospitals that say a surgeon past the age of 70 or 75 cannot operate? They may say that, but it would be difficult for them to defend it in a court of law. Well, then how then do they maintain quality control in this issue? Very easily. They can simply withdraw privileges from an individual but not based exclusively on age. It has to be based on other factors, presumably clinical outcomes. Have you ever had an instance where you've seen personally a surgeon that you have advised in one way or the other that that surgeon stopped practicing? More than once. Could you tell us about one or two of those? I think the circumstances under which surgeons get into difficulty are often situations where surgeons who have really outstanding reputations, continue to do cases that are more complex than they should be handling at that stage of their career. When it is brought to their attention that they really run the risk of staining their own reputations, 
most of them would recognize that and are perfectly willing to back away. It's been a rare circumstance where I've had to step in or establish a board of review to reach that particular conclusion. There was an interesting study a number of years ago about people who owned private planes and their ability as pilots. And clearly, surgeons had the greatest number of mishaps. And the reason that they concluded was that surgeons were so used to getting into difficult situations and knowing how to get out of it that they would take greater chances thinking that they would be able to get out of those situations. Do you think that kind of mindset is problematic in the surgeon in the operating room as he ages? It's certainly a potential. The risk to surgeons is clearly greater uh, as pilots, but I think for many of them it's because they ignore the standards of practice that are established for aviation safety. I think that the same standards that they would enforce in the operating room are standards that they are uh, less attracted to as pilots. Well, then how does confidence work in here? Clearly, when you did your first Whipple operation just out of your training, you were much more anxious than when you did it 20 years, 30 years later. I think that's true with all major procedures. Uh, you're tentative and much less accomplished in completing the procedure than you are after you've done uh, 50 or 60 of them. But that kind of experience is, I think, now built into the system in a way that allows surgeons to begin to, frankly, differentiate themselves earlier in their career so that the spectrum of cases that surgeons perform nowadays tends to be much narrower than it used to be. I remember when I was a medical student, there was a professor of surgery who was elderly, and it took him hours to perform procedures that would be done in less than an hour by most surgeons. But I know that the administration and his colleagues had a great difficulty in relaying this to the surgeon and actually doing anything about it. Is that something that is a common problem or is that becoming less common? That's a problem that I recall as well, and I believe it's becoming less common. The reason is that everyone is paying much closer attention to cost effectiveness in the operating room, and surgeons nowadays tend to be compared on the basis of the time that they utilize in the operating room for given procedures. Surgeons are so competitive that generally when they see that they are beyond the curve in comparison to other surgeons, they'll make changes that are necessary to not only fall within the comfortable pattern, but to try to excel. So I think it is much less of a problem today. There are still surgeons who are insensitive to the fact that they are taking a longer time, and it's very difficult to convince them otherwise. In fact, Medical legal action is very difficult because uh, surgeons in practice can claim that others are trying to encroach on the practice, and it becomes quite a difficult issue to defend in court. Well, Dr. Greenfield, as surgeons, what can we do ourselves introspectively to look at ourselves and see if we're not performing optimally? I think... We need to be very conscious of our outcomes and how that compares to regional and national standards of outcomes. 
surgeons often tend to overestimate the severity of the problems that they're dealing with. Surgeons who have poor outcomes say that they have much riskier patients, but now that we can standardize risk among patients, I think comparisons are much more valid, much more easy to utilize, and much more reliable in the sense that everyone should come to agreement on their validity. I want to thank Dr. Laser Greenfield, who has been our guest. We have been discussing cognitive function, judgment, and technical ability in the operating room. Be sure to check out our website at www.reachmd.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of our entire library. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Geriatric Medicine and Aging. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, visit us at ReachMD.com and download ReachMD's iPhone app, Medical Radio, to listen to the same live stream of medical news and information, plus CME and thousands of searchable podcasts. Download the Medical Radio app today.